0: Open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Hold your spot there. We'll get there shortly. It's an extended passage we're going to be looking at there together this morning. This morning we bring to an end a very short, but I think a very important series Uh, that we've called In The Zone. We started the first Sunday of this month in November. And, you know, when we get to November, I've already mentioned the fact that we get to November, everybody starts thinking about Thanksgiving, right? And I I love Thanksgiving. It's, It's like it sort of warms your heart and it starts making you think of all the things that you're thankful for. And some of you who are on Facebook, I've seen without any prompting, you've been posting, you know, every day. Stuff that you're thankful for. Don't you love seeing that instead of all the whining and complaining on Facebook? Don't you, Wouldn't you prefer seeing that how people are thankful? Isn't that better? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right. So some of you are already posting the things that you've been thankful for. And I think that's a beautiful thing. That's what Thanksgiving does. Our minds turn to Thanksgiving. We start thinking about how God has blessed us, how he's been good to us. And in spite of how good God has been and and. I think we're always surprised when we think about that. There's that old uh, hymn that we used to sing, uh, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And I think when we start doing that, we are surprised sometimes. Because we just sort of go through life and God does things for us and we just sort of run right by them and we don't give them any mind and we don't pay any attention to them and we stop which happens around this season of the year. And we started looking at what God's done. We're like, wow, wow, God's been good. God's been good. And in spite of that, I don't think there's anybody here this morning that if if this was the best year that you've ever had, that you're not thinking, man, it'd be great if next year was even better. And you know what? That's okay. You know why? Because God made us that way. Now, here's something that you may not have thought of before. You think, well, maybe that feels greedy, maybe that I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, you know, wanting it to be better than it is. No, it's okay. God made us that way. You know why? Because when we want more or better, it's designed not to push us to the world, it's meant to draw us to God. Why? Because God is the blesser. God's a giver in his nature. And when we want more, or we want better. It's designed to draw us to the heart of God, not push us into the world. So the idea that you would want more or better than you've had already is not a bad thing. It's a good thing if it pushes you to God. Now we call this series in the zone because in the zone good things happen. I mean they just good things happen in the zone. And uh, I'll give you a a few examples. All right, so you're either in the zone or you're out of the zone. And it's better to be in the zone than out of the zone. Now, here's a couple of things that kind of help you put your arms around this. The Chicago Bears this year are in the zone, right, Kelly? Yeah, guys got Mitch Trubisky and a bunch of Bears in the Fantasy Football League. The Bears are in the zone. The New York football Giants are not. Uh, For all you NASCAR fans, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, they're in the zone this year. For you number 48 fans, I'm very sorry, but Jimmy Johnson is not in the zone this year. Um, Let's see, the Alabama Crimson Tide is in the zone, and they've been in the zone for a long time. On the other hand, Lovey Smith and the Fighting Illini are not in the zone at all. And over the last couple of years, I would tell you that the Chicago Cubs have been in the zone and the Cardinals. Well, we'll just leave it there. (laughs) We want to be in the zone happen in the zone. God wants us to be in the zone spiritually. Why? Because that's the drop zone of the blessing in in our lives from him. That's where God can bless us. And let's remind ourselves what we said that to be blessed means. This is very important that we understand this. Blessing means to be on the receiving end of the tangible and the intangible favor of God the tangible and the intangible now let's camp out there for a minute because this is very important what does what does tangible mean it means stuff tangible means stuff It means a house it means clothing it means a vehicle it means a job it means money it means stuff tangible actually means stuff it is what it sounds like it is stuff I know you know we think sometimes that when we come to church, man, we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about stuff because that's materialistic. But church, let me just be real clear here: God did not ask any of us to take a vow of poverty when we got saved. He didn't. Now I know a lot of people think that's all pious and everything, and that uh, and and I'm don't don't misread this because I'm not saying anything bad here. I'm just saying, but there's a lot of people that think pastors. Should live in poverty because that somehow that's holy. No, it's not. Pastors have families to feed, y'all. It's true all over the United States. And God never asked His people, His children, to take a vow of poverty when they got saved. And you know what? This may also surprise some of you, but the Bible does not say that money is evil. You know what it says is evil? The love of money. It's not money that's evil because money's a tool. Money is something that you work with to accomplish something. And so money is not evil, but the love of money is why? Because the love of money starts to contend with our love for God. And when things start to butt up against our role, our priority of God in our life, then that becomes the problem. So the Bible doesn't say that money's a problem. The money, God says, that the love of money... Is a problem. So to be a blessed means to be on the tangible receiving end of the favor of God. Okay, so that's cool, but what does what does intangible mean? Well, the intangible is all the things that you can't smell, touch, or taste, right? You can't put your hands on it, you can't, you can't manipulate it, but it's things like love and joy and peace and confidence. It's the things that you can't necessarily measure, but it's the things that as God brings them into our life, they fill our life and they make life feel like it's good, right? All the stuff is fun and it can be useful and it's not bad in and of itself, but it's the intangible blessing of God that makes life feel full and whole and right, and well, and church, God, this morning, I want you to understand this, God wants us to live in the zone, the place where he can bless us, because he loves to bless us, he's a giver, he wants to give both tangible blessing into your life and intangible blessing into your life but to do so you've got to be living in a blessable place in a blessable way that's how God justifies giving the blessing now I know everybody in here has kind of a mindset about this is the kind of life I'd like to have this is the kind of life I'd like to live and I would tell you this morning church that whatever that looks like in your mind, whatever that looks like, it starts and is centered and rooted in living in the zone that we've been talking about. Now, I know some of you in here, you're skeptics. And you think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not living in the zone, you know, like you talk about over those last couple of weeks. But I've got a blessing in my life. How do you explain that? I've got blessings. so what are you going to do about that, preacher? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. Fair question. Jesus had something really interesting to say about this in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. I'll put this one on the screen for you, so you don't have to turn to it unless you want to. It's Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 43 through 45. Here's what he said. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Okay, but he said it, so he must mean it. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And here's, here's the piece that I think a lot of us don't understand. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just And the who? The unjust. Do you catch that? Church, everybody, everybody in the world gets a little bit of God's blessing. Everybody. You don't have to be a super saint this morning to be catching some of God's blessing falling on your life. You don't have to be Mother Teresa You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be anybody like that to be catching some of the goodness of God because Jesus said that God sends rain and sunshine on the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. Everybody gets a little bit, but here's the thing. Just because you're getting some doesn't mean that you're getting the best. My phone in my back pocket is ringing chicken uh, clucking... Um, that's my ringtone is chickens clucking Mission Impossible. So, anyway, (laughs) just totally thrown off my game there for a second. (laughs) It's a catchy tune. You should hear it. Because you're getting some doesn't mean that you're getting the best. Now, let me describe it this way. Those of you who are parents in here this morning, how many of you would say that your children are perfect children 24-7, 365 days a year? Anybody? No hands. No hands. It's shocking. I know, it's shocking. In spite of that, In spite of the fact that nobody has perfect kids 24, 7, 365 days a year, we give them stuff, don't we? We give them stuff. Why? Because they earned it? Why? Because they deserve it? Well, not when they're not being good kids. You know why we do that? Because we love them. We delight In blessing our children, even when they're not being the children that we want them and desire them to be. The love that we have for them just sort of overflows who we are in spite of sometimes their own nature. Correct? All right. How much more are we inclined to bless our children when our children are actually walking in the way that we've taught them when they're doing what we've asked them to do, when they're living how we've asked them to live, how much more does that kind of bubble up and flow over and we just want to rain down stuff on them because, man, God, thank you so much for my children. They're a blessing to me. I want to bless them, right? Now, do you understand the heart of God a little better? See, because God is very much like that. We get some of God's blessing regardless of our character, regardless of our nature, regardless of our lifestyle. But when we live in such a way that we're following his teaching, when we're living the life that he's asked us to live, the nature of God is to bless even more because we're honoring him. So some, getting some of God's blessing does not mean that you're getting his best, and it does not mean that you're necessarily living a life that he's pleased with. You're just getting the carryover. You're getting the excess when you could be instead getting the best. But a lot of us live that way. And why in the world would we do that? Why would we settle for less than God's best, when we can live smack dab in the middle of the zone of God's blessing. Well, some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. As The man was an atheist who became uh, so aware of God that he could not any longer maintain his atheism. He came to faith in Jesus Christ and God used him in amazing ways. He wrote some incredible things. and He had this quote that I think addresses this challenge that we have. And I'll put it on the screen for you. C.S. Lewis says, we are half-hearted creatures who are fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slime because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, a vacation at the beach we are far too easily pleased. You know what he's saying? We're like that little kid who can't comprehend the awesomeness of what can be available to us and so we just keep doing this little thing that we're doing over here and we're sort of satisfied because we don't have a concept of how much better it could be. And C.S. Lewis says that those of us who are Christ followers are very much like that child. We have infinite joy that is offered to us. Amazing blessing that we cannot comprehend that God offers us by living in the zone of his blessing, by honoring him with our life and our choices. And yet we get a little bit of the leftovers here and there and we think that's good enough because we don't understand how big the zone of God's blessing is In our lives. Now, I shared with you before that statistically, and I, I don't know what any of you make this morning. I don't know what your giving situation here is at Orchardville, but statistically, I can tell you that over about seventy-five percent, or two thirds, or three quarters of the people who are sitting here right now are not experiencing God's best. You could be, but you're not. And the difference is how we approach this issue of the tithe. It's all centered around this issue of the tithe. And last Sunday, last Sunday, we talked about bringing the tithe. And tithe is one-tenth or 10%. It's, it's, It's a word of measurement. It's like inches or mile or meters or pounds, it's a measurement. It's like people get all freaked out when they hear the word tithe. They go, ooh, that's a Bible word, it's a holy word. No, it's just a measurement. It means 10% or one tenth. And the Bible tells us that we are supposed to bring 10%. I now, mean, people go, oh man, are we going to talk about giving again in church? No, no, we're not. Because we're not talking about giving at all. We're talking about bringing. There's a huge difference, church. You know why? Because I don't give what's not mine. Somebody say amen to that. I don't give what's not mine. We're not talking about giving this morning. We're talking about bringing. Because the tithe, 10% of your increase, of my increase, of our increase, belongs to who? It belongs to God. And it is a tangible way that I can demonstrate not only to you but to myself and to God that God is first priority in my life now I know some people they, they hear anything about the tithe and they think man 10 percent that is so unreasonable that is so unreasonable God I, I don't make enough it's so unreasonable well, I, I, I was told of a man that I, I know many of you here this morning are probably familiar with. You know his story. I didn't know his story. I thought this was kind of cool. He was a man who lived uh, kind of a hard life, lived away from God. Uh, God radically saved him. And when he heard this church talking about the tithe, his response was, you only want 10% because the devil wanted it all. His name was Mon Dinch. Uh, I mean, um, money. I had Mon. Yo, Mon. <laughs> you only want 10%? The devil wanted it all. And church, hear me, he does. Jesus said in the New Testament that I came to give you life and life abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants everything you got and nothing less. And sometimes we get all up up in arms about, well, God wants 10%. Well, first of all, it's his in the first place. But second of all, he's being really generous to us because the devil wants everything you've got and then some. And God says, just give me 10 And church, I also want to remind you this morning that that tithe that belongs to God, it goes to the local church. Anything else is not the tithe. Jesus died and commissioned what? What did he die for and commission? The church. Jesus died for and commissioned the church. The church is called what? His what? His bride so we're all in favor of of Christian schools of uh, parachurch ministries of food banks of all of those kind of things but God did not say anywhere in the scripture to bring the tithe into the food bank he didn't say bring the tithe into the local Christian radio station He didn't say bring the tithe into the local Christian schoolhouse. He said bring the tithe into the storehouse, which is what? It's the church. That's God's plan. It's not mine. I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. We live under God's world and under his rules. Amen? Amen. The tithe belongs to the church. And anybody who tries to take 10% and separate it out, you know what you're doing? You're saying, God, I got a better plan than you. Am I preaching the truth? Saying, God, I got a better plan than you because I know better how to use your money. How many of you appreciate with that when the government tries to do that? Yeah, when the government says, I got a better plan for your money than you do? No, 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 no. But when we try to split up the tithe, we're saying, hey, God, I got a better plan for your money than you do. The tithe comes to the church. And God is going to bless people, you people, financially. Why? So that you can bless his church at Orchardville Church. And he will use the blessing that he gives to you as a tool. You say, will God really test me? Yeah, he does. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy. Chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse... 11, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Here's what Moses says through God, or God through Moses, sorry. He says, Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget that the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now let me just stop there for just a second. You look at that passage of scripture. He says, when you've eaten and you're full. So does God condemn eating and being full? Does he? No. No, he says when you've done it. Uh, He says when you've built houses, beautiful houses and you've dwelled in, does he condemn that? Nope. Nope. Nothing nothing wrong there. He says uh, when your flocks and your herds multiply, does he condemn that? Nope. No condemnation there. And he says when your silver and your gold are multiplied, does he condemn that? No, in fact, and then he says, when everything you've got is multiplied, does he condemn that? No. In other words, God is speaking almost as if that's an expectation, is he not? When this has happened, when you've built and enjoyed this house, when everything you've got is multiplied, when your flocks and your herds are multiplied, when your silver and your gold is multiplied, when all of these things happen for you, beware... Don't forget that it's God in verse 15 who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you and to do you good in the end and then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. He said, be very, very careful that when all of these blessings have come your way through my good hand, that you don't wind up saying, look at what I've got because of what I've done. And then he wraps that up By saying, you shall remember in verse 18 the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Who did God say gives you and me and us the power to get wealth? Who gives it? He does. It's God. The strength you have, it's God's. The mind that you have, it's God's. The skills that you have, they're God's. The opportunities that you've got, they're there because God gave them to you. He says, don't you dare forget when all of the blessing starts accumulating to your favor that it was me who did it for you and don't you dare start taking credit for it yourself because then it's going to go badly. Church, we have to remind ourselves that God is responsible for every good thing that we have and enjoy in this life. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God. And we remind ourselves primarily through tithing. And it's a lot easier when we understand that we're managers and not owners. Now, because we want to own, we want it to be ours. But God says it's not yours. You're managing it. And God has much greater blessing when we're thinking managing instead of possessing. How much can you hold when your hands are like this? Not much, huh? It's nowhere near what you can hold when your hands are like this. Am I right? When we're possessing, when we're trying to hold on to stuff, this is what we do. It's mine, 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 mine. I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to lose it. God says, I can drop so much more in your hands if you'll just open them up. So much more that you can have and enjoy and use. He said in, in the passages that we looked at last week, honor me with your wealth, which is the offering, and bring me the first fruits of your increase, which is the tithe. If we do that, if we do that, if we follow that simple formula, God will provide. Why? Because He's a giver. It's His nature to provide, to bless. And if He didn't, it would go against the exact nature of who He is. Now, we need to understand that our motivation cannot be primarily to get blessed, our motivation is to please the Lord who gave His life for us as a ransom. But here's the thing, in simply following God's command, in simply doing what honors the Lord, God says, I'm gonna bless you. It's the same thing with our kids. Do what I've said, and when they honor us with their life, then we are so much more inclined to bless them. And that's what God does. Now, I know some of you... you, you think it to yourself, I'd like to, I'd like to, I, I, I want to tithe, but I got debt. You don't know how much debt that I've got. You're right, I don't, but God does. And I would say to you this morning that if you're in debt and your debt is keeping you from honoring God with the tithe, then I'd, I'd say that you've really got two, two options, plan A and plan B. Plan A would be to say, you know what, I'm going to start giving to God what's his when I get out of debt. All right, so when will that be? How long will that take? Do you even know? Do you honestly even have control over that? That's plan A. Plan B would say, you know what, God, I don't know how this works but I'm tired of trying to own all this stuff I'm, I'm willing to, to follow your direction And just be a manager instead of an owner And so God help me work it out Because it doesn't make any sense to me And you know what? That God can help you get out of debt A whole lot faster than you can It's crazy So you could kind of try to keep doing it your way Or you could try to do it God's way Which one do you think is going to work better? His way, church It's not hard Malachi 3, 8, and 12. We talked, about, uh, we talked about this last week, but I want to remind ourselves of this one more time. Because when we hold on to what's God's, then we're playing a dangerous game because our money's cursed. See, we can, we can play 90% of our, of our money being blessed or 100% of it Cursed. Which one makes more sense? And, and God's really clear about it in Malachi chapter 3 beginning in verse 8. says, will a man rob God? But you've robbed me. And you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And the very next thing is very scary to me. He says, because of that, you are what? What's the next word? You're cursed with a curse. That doesn't sound all that appealing to me. I don't even want normal people to curse me, much less God. I want God's blessing, not his curse. But he said, you're robbing me in your tithes and offerings, and so you are cursed with a curse. Verse 10, he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, by the way, do you remember the the series that we did on Table Talk? where We had the table and three chairs up here, and we said we're inviting people to a meal. Why? Because the church serves the most important food in the world. The bread of life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Is good. God says, bring it to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. See if I will not open for you the window of heaven. In some uh, uh, um, translations, that's also uh, written floodgates. And pour out for you such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. I remember when I was a kid and uh, Halloween came. uh, I had this really cool uh, uh, strategy. Um, I was like five or six years old, you know. But man, I love candy. I love candy then. And uh, so we didn't have a big neighborhood. and, uh, And I learned, I learned a long time ago that people have, they feel sorry for the kids that don't have much in their bag. I'd get my my bag about halfway up, I'd run home. I'd dump it all out. And then I'd hit the the circuit again. It was a beautiful plan. Because if I went around and I got my bag full and somebody wanted to give me more, where's it going to go? It's just going to hit the floor. I can't keep all that. So I want to make sure I had room for more. When God says, test me in this and see if I won't open up the window of heaven and drop so much that there is not room enough to hold it all. Like, God, let me get some of that. Amen. Amen. Give me some of that. I want to go back and empty that bag over and over and over again because I want all that God's got for me. And I want all that God's got for you. And I want you to want all that God's got for you. You know why? Because that's what God wants for you too. And then he says in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you, what's the next word? Blessed. Blessed. They'll call you blessed. Why? Because they can see that God's people have been on the receiving end of not only the intangible, but also the tangible favor of God. And it's evident for the world to see. And How does that happen? How in the world can you make that work in your life? Because I've got a God that makes it work. That's how, and I love the idea that he says, see if I won't open up the windows or the floodgates of heaven. Now church, this is way cool because there are only three situations in all of scripture where the idea of the windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven are referenced in terms of what God does. The first one was Noah and the flood. Opened up the windows of heaven, the floodgates of heaven, and the earth was drenched. It was overwhelmed with water. That's exactly the same term that God is using on time, the kind of blessing that he wants to drop on you if you will honor him with your tithes and offerings. Wow! Does that not blow anybody else's mind here this morning? God flooded the world by opening the windows of the floodgates of heaven. It's the same term. The only other place that this is used is at the end of the world when God says that he will, and this is from a passage in Isaiah, when God says that he will open up the floodgates of judgment. That's going to be awful. And it's going to be overwhelming. Overwhelming. That has yet to come. It has not happened. One already has and one currently is. If, 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 if we will obey him and trust him, he will open the floodgates of heaven. I know sometimes people think, well, I know so-and-so is, they're tithing. Their life doesn't look all that blessed to me. How can you say somebody's being blessed when their life looks like a struggle? Well, because you can have a blessed life that is a challenge in one area, but blessed beyond measure in another. Now, let me take you to the passage that we looked at last week, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 23. We looked at a portion of this scripture last week, but I want to look at just a little bit more of it this morning. Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 19. God says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So he says, the first thing you got, it's not just the first fruit, it's the very first of the first. I want the first of the first. Verse 20, he says, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him. Obey his voice, don't provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For, by, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and you do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. How many would like God to be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries? You sign up for that? Absolutely. You think that's a blessing? You better believe it. All right, and then he continues, verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and a bunch of other sites. He says, and I will cut them off and you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Now, let me tell you a personal story. Those of you who've been in the military, uh, you know that one of their problems is not overpaying uh, military personnel. Not a problem that the military has. Uh, So, it's not like, you know, you're making money hand over fist if you're serving in the military. But one thing, one thing that is good is... No matter what happens to your family, it's taken care of. I mean, in terms of health care. It's just part and parcel of of serving in the military. Well, when I got out of the Army uh, and I went and kind of got a regular job, um, found out that the uh, insurance was (laughs) like way more expensive than I thought. Like, wow, that's crazy. And um, at the time, Brandon... Our youngest had just turned one-year-old. Just turned one-year-old. Zach was four and a half. Now, any of you who have had children that are one-year-old and four and a half, tough season of life for them. They get sick all the time. So I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at what we've got coming in and going out, and, and I came home, and I told, I told Leslie, I said, sweetie, I said, here's the reality. I said, this is what what I'm going to be making, this is what's going out the door. I said, So we've got two choices we can buy insurance or we can tithe. You remember that conversation? I said, We can buy insurance or we can tithe, but we can't do both. And so we made the decision together to honor the Lord. We bypassed insurance with a one-year-old and a -a four-and-a-half-year-old. Most people say, that's crazy. Yeah, it was. But do you know, in two-and-a-half years, we made one trip to the doctor? One. You know why? Because God was blessing See when you tithe church, it doesn't mean that you're going to have so much money, you're not going to know what to do with it. But it does mean that you're honoring the Lord with your life. And it means that you become aware of His blessing in all sorts of ways. tangible ways that go in your pocket, tangible ways that don't go out of your pocket intangible ways where you know that God is for you. We have asked you as a church that before this season of craziness begins to happen on Friday, before we lose our minds and we start spending all the money we've got to impress people that we don't even care about, that we hit the pause button and we remember who's responsible for it all. We're asking you to raise the banner of Jesus in your life, to put him first, so that you can be in a blessable place where God can drop blessing abundantly in your life. And so as a church, we mentioned this last week, want to help you do that in every seat or chair either on the chair itself or in the pocket there is this three-month tithe challenge if you're here this morning and you've not been tithing we're willing to go out on a limb with God because we believe what God said and we want you to experience that and if you're scared, if you're scared to take that step of faith, we want to help you. And if you've not been tithing, you fill this out. You can drop it at the, uh, the, the welcome center. Take it home, pray about it, come back. Next week, drop it in the offering basket. Whatever you want to do. But if you'll put your name to this, we promise you that at the end of three months, if you give God the tithe, And you step out in faith. If you don't think God has blessed you in a way that matches or exceeds what you gave him, we'll give you all of your money back. And we won't ask a question. We won't give you a hassle. We won't give you grief. Because we're going to trust the Lord. And we want to help you trust the Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back to the platform this morning. And I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. So I understand that when we talk about money, nobody really wants to come to an altar and (laughs) look like, ooh, okay, they haven't been giving. See, I'm a real person. I get it. But also know that God can be working in your heart right where you sit. And so I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, as we conclude this series and we talk about how, God, you're a God who blesses. Lord, the first way that you did that was to give us your son, Jesus. Lord, without Jesus, we're lost. Without Jesus, we could never know the fullness of the life that you've called us to. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be a day of decision for them. God, as they think about thanksgiving and something's just missing, that, Lord, you'll help them to know that that place in their heart that needs to be filled is Jesus. If you're here this morning and you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray with me wherever you are right now. Father, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that he died for me and I feel it this morning God I want you to forgive my sin and I want you to come into my life I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior God I want to begin living for you and walking with you and I don't even know exactly what that looks like right now but God it's what I want so God as best I know how this morning I give you my heart and my life bring me into your family help me begin this journey today God for those who have made that decision long time ago or even recently but have been struggling in this area of the tithe God I pray that you will help them to connect Proverbs 3 5 and 6 and Proverbs 3 9 and 10 Lord help us to trust in the Lord with all our heart in all our ways acknowledge you and you will direct your paths which means giving you our first fruits so that our barns will be full and God on paper it may not make sense this morning on paper it may not it may not add up but Lord you're your kingdom doesn't always make sense to the world's eyes, to our natural eyes, but in faith, God, it all works. Lord, help everybody in this church today find a way to get into a place in their life where they are receiving your best and not just the leftovers. God, bless the words of our mouth meditations of our heart and the choices that we make. In Jesus' name, amen.